This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day. I'm back with another weekend edition. Um, I'm going to fly solo on this one. Um, I don't know how long this episode is going to go. Um, I'm only going to touch on basically two topics, but they're kind of big ones. Um, so we'll just see how it shakes out. Um, the first thing we're going to do is get into Casey Mize, um, who was pulled from his start um, for the Erie Seawolves last night in the third inning after experiencing some shoulder soreness. Um, his velocity appeared to be dropping um, in the third inning. There weren't very many readings on the broadcast as far as, you know, how hard he was throwing. It was also kind of an odd game because there was a delay. Some of the, both, actually both the starting pitchers um, seemed like there was a bit of a rush to get warmed up and get started when they finally announced um, that they were going to start play. Whether or not that factored into it, I really have no idea. Um, You would hope that, you know, the players would stall (laughs) if need be and not put themselves in the position to have to pitch um, without being properly warmed up, but I don't really know. There was no way to really, uh, really sort that out. But Mize basically threw an 89 mile per hour fastball inside to the last hitter he was facing, and then kind of reached up over his over his head with both arms, like he was stretching his shoulders out. Um, I didn't necessarily think of it right in the moment. And then the next pitch um, was basically like an 85 mile per hour batting practice fastball. Um, he got the ball back. Cade Civic noticed something was wrong. Mize was kind of just standing there with his right arm, his throwing arm, um, down at his side. And pretty quickly, the trainer and um, the Seawolves manager, Mike Rebello, ran out there. And, you know, with Casey Mize, who is the Tigers' prize prospect, or really with any pitching prospect, when you're having shoulder issues and your velocity is falling that rapidly in a start, they it would be, you know, total malpractice not to get you out of there right, of the, right away. So, you know, kudos to them for doing the right thing, but it was pretty much the obvious move. You know, of course, it goes without saying that this really sucks. (laughs) Um, We all know that, you know, pitchers are going to get injured. Um, By and large, you know, if you pitch long enough, you're going to get injured. It's a guarantee. You know, a guy like Justin Verlander, um, who's bucked the trend for so long, or someone like Roger Clemens, who threw just an incredible amount of innings, those guys are real rare. Um, it's it's frankly incredible that, um, you know, even just a couple of years ago, Roger Clemens was going out and just throwing independently games for fun. Um, you know, most guys who pitched anywhere close to that those that amount of innings, you know, th- those guys can barely raise their arms above their shoulders. Um, some guys have trouble playing golf after they're done pitching, even if they only had a, a short career uh, because of the, the wear and tear and the injuries that can pile up. Before... We, we kind of like break this all the way down. Um, we, there was just an announcement on Twitter um, right as I'm recording this at about 7 p.m. Eastern time on Friday night that the Tigers announced that um, Casey Mize had been placed on the seven-day IL with um, with shoulder inflammation, posterior shoulder inflammation. Um, and that's about, you know, that's really the best case scenario. Um, that, that's kind of what we were hoping for. Um, so we're going to get into that, what it means, um, you know, a, a little bit of talk about pitcher injuries because the ghouls, of course, were out on Twitter immediately um, claiming how they predicted that Casey Mize would have Tommy John surgery and blah, blah, blah. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to kind of contrast um, Mize and Matt Manning a little bit. Um, basically, you know, I've kind of been the lone holdout um, on the Bless You Boy staff in putting Matt Manning above Casey Mize in my in my prospect list. And, you know, part of the reason is just because, you know, 
Matt Manning has a much easier arm action, uh, much smoother delivery to my mind, um, generates his velocity much more easily. Casey Mize has much more of a high effort um, kind of delivery. But of course, um, you know, Matt Manning could get hurt tomorrow too. There's, there's really no way to predict these things. But I'm pretty sure that if you talk to any pitching coach anywhere and ask them to take a look at the two guys, um, gave them their histories, you know, they're all going to say that Casey Mize is going to be the one to go down with a major injury first if they had to bet on, on one of the two. Um, and that's a big part of the reason why, yeah, I mean, I've kind of always kind of held it that, you know, if one of these two guys is going to be, you know, a long-term ace type pitcher who can throw, you know, 180 plus innings year after year, um, it's much more likely to be Matt Manning to me than it is Casey Mize. Um, that's just my impression. Um, I'm not trying to get any credit here either because, you know, I, I don't believe that pitcher injuries can really be predicted that easily. Um, you know, a couple years ago, I made a bold prediction on Twitter that all pitchers would get injured. And so now anytime a pitcher gets injured, I can be one of these guys out there claiming credit for having um, for having figured it all out and, you know, being held back by, you know, the forces of evil in front offices around baseball who, according to these people, you know, just don't want to hear the truth and blah, 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 blah. So there's a whole bunch of nonsense involved with, with pitcher injury. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. Um, we'll talk about Matt Manning. And then finally, I'm going to get into um, Nick Castellanos' quotes um, today. Nick Castellanos basically put the entire, you know, Tigers organization on blast um, for how they've handled this situation over the last two years since the, um, the teardown in 2017. Um, a teardown that apparently isn't completed yet. Um, we're not even to that point yet, uh, based on the fact that, uh, you know, Cassiano seems to be gone. Um, at this point, I don't think there was any chance of, of extending him. And his comments today, which I will read for you later, uh, make it pretty clear that any hopes of an extension are out the window. Um, and it also sounds like the Tigers, you know, absolutely believe that they have to trade Matt Boyd. Um, so, you know, we're basically still starting over. You know, the um, the rebuild is basically starting over again this season. So, um, you know, that's pretty grim. Um, I don't think anybody's real happy with that. So, yeah, let's break this down a little bit. Um, talk Mize and Manning. So, Casey Mize. Just yesterday, um, Thursday afternoon after I got out of work, um, I happened to be on the radio um, with Mike Miller um, on ESPN Radio in Toledo, and he actually brought up Casey Mize and Matt Manning and was kind of, um, you know, kind of talking about what the timetable is, how much... Um, how much of a workload the Tigers would probably, you know, put both of them through this year. Um, and man, right when he asked me that question, I, I don't know, I could just feel that tingle. Like I didn't even really want to like offer a suggestion because more than anything, you just want the two guys to, you know, stay healthy, continue to develop. And I'm not worried too much about whether or not either one of them was going to make their debut this year um, or not. You know, both of them look like they should be ready to pitch in the majors next year. Um, but you know, with pitchers, you just never know. Um, it's always a bad idea to start counting the chickens before they're hatched, um, with pitching prospects more than, more than any other type. Um, and, you know, I basically said, you know, that if the Tigers wanted to, you know, give Casey Mize a look at the end of this year in the major leagues and kind of, you know, give him at least a little bit of, uh, acclimation, um, to the major league level, you know, that they probably were going to need to give him and, and Matt Manning, you know, some time off in the middle of the season, like maybe give them, you know, three weeks off around the all-star break, um, you know, let them have a, a week or two where they don't really even throw that much, you know, just do their, their regular light throwing, you know, and work out, you know, obviously keep in great shape, but try to, you know, kind of let the arm heal a little bit. Um, and then maybe if they did something like that, you could see them, you know, possibly having enough innings left um, in the second half for Mize to get a look. 
Um, you know, neither one of them has really ever gone, you know, more than 120 innings in a season. Um, and, you know, generally you're trying to add like 20, 20 or 30 innings per year. So the odds of either one of them throwing more than 150 innings this year are, are slim. And if the Tigers did push them that hard, you'd really have to wonder why. Um, because there's that, you know, there's just absolutely no reason for it. Um, the Tigers, you know, don't need either one of them to, you know, help the team out because there's no helping the team, unfortunately, this year. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We kind of talked about that, and I, and I kind of thought, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe there is a chance that Casey Mize, you know, could get a look in Detroit in September, um, maybe at the beginning of September, or give him a start or two, and then shut him down. So at least, you know, people can get a look at him. Casey Mize can get used to, you know, pitching in the major leagues a little bit, kind of get some of the jitters out of the way and then go into the off season, you know, feeling like, you know, he'd, he'd made it a long way this year. Um, Casey Mize is, you know, basically ready to pitch in the major leagues already. Um, he may not be at his best and it certainly makes sense to make sure that he's as far along as you can get him um, before you promote him. But, you know, there's a problem with pitching prospects where, you know, if a guy or with any prospect where when they're ready to pitch in, in, in the major leagues or play in the major leagues in, in any capacity, you know, you're playing with fire if you don't bring them up and start getting use out of them when they're ready to. <clears throat> Excuse me. This applies to pitching prospects, obviously, more than any other type. Um, you know, but even if you think of, like, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., um, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays probably, you know, spent a year where they could have had, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hitting for them in the major leagues and probably raking for them with no problem. Um, you know, he hasn't had, like, an absolutely titanic start to his career, but, you know it's all there. You can see that he's going to be an, an exceptional hitter. I don't think anyone really doubts that. But the question is, you know, five, six years down the road, if Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s, you know, piled up a whole bunch of lower half injuries, um, if he's gotten even bigger and is out of shape, um, you know, and, and his bat's starting to, to fall off, it's entirely possible that they may have wasted, you know, some of his, his best time um, by keeping in the minor leagues to try to, you know, fit the team's rebuilding timetable. Um, you know, you can try to do that, but those kind of plans often will blow up in your face, and you just never know. You know, they may have wasted a year of Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s prime because players' primes don't start at the same time. You know, we we talk a lot about, you know, from 26 to, you know, 31, 32 is usually a player's prime. Um, that seems like it might be ticking even a little bit lower, but some guys you know, hit the ground running. Um, you know, imagine if you'd left Mike Trout, you know, in, in the minor leagues for another year, um, you would have been wasting, you know, possibly the best player in the game already. Um, and, and just, you know, having those, you know, those at bats um, that work in the outfield, not even count for anything. So, you know, you just never know. And especially with pitching prospects, when they're ready, you kind of need to bring them up. And I, and I can't help right now thinking back to, I think it was either, it was either Kylie McDaniel or Eric Longenhagen with fan graphs kind of, mentioning that, you know, Casey Mize is so major league ready, um, and and this was, you know, sometime after they drafted him last year, that, you know, you had to consider the possibility that, you know, Casey Mize would end up being a player that the Tigers would end up having to trade because he was already very close to being as good a pitcher as he was going to be, um, and that's probably a pretty darn good pitcher. And, you know, the, the Tigers might be best served to, you know, just bring him up as soon as he's ready, start pitching him, and if the farm system, you know, isn't coming together, you may have to look at him as a guy who's, you know, in his prime years already and might be best served, you know, as a trade chip um, rather than, you know, hoping that he's going to stay healthy uh, and not, you know, start to fade, 
you know, by the time the Tigers are whenever planning on, you know, putting a, a good team on the field again. Um, right now, that's not looking anytime in the near future. And, you know, when, when I first read those comments, I kind of thought that was a bit insane. You know, like, you know, we just got the guy, um, you know, we're rebuilding and he's, you know, in theory, you know, one of the, the key pieces that they're going to try to build around. But, um, you know, when you see him go down to with an injury, you know, this early into his first, you know, pro season, it does kind of bring, you know, the issue back to the forefront that, you know, you, you can try to, to make all the plans you want to about, you know, Casey Mize and Matt Manning are going to be up and these, you know, the, the Tigers, you know, better position prospects, none of whom are particularly outstanding, of course. But, you know, if you're going to bring those guys up next year, you know, the Tigers should already kind of be needing to go for it. Um, the Tigers don't seem to have any any thought in their head that they're going to be good anytime soon. Like they're, they're you know... I'm already hearing enough about Matt Boyd being traded from kind of people who have ins with the team that it tells me that they're kind of being used as proxies. Like the Tigers are floating this, you know, this idea regularly that, you know, they have no choice. They've got to trade Matt Boyd. They've got to get some, some better hitting prospects in here. But if you're building um, a rebuild around pitching, which is what the Tigers have done, and they drafted four straight pitchers in the first round from 2015 to 2018, and then you're going to turn around now and you're going to trade your best pitcher, um, Matt Boyd, who still has three and a half years of team control um, in, you know, our beers coming up, but still, you know, pretty reasonably priced for the production he's going to give you um, based on how it looks. Um, you know, if you're going to trade him away, you're pushing the timetable back, you know, exponentially farther than you might think you are because you just don't know how long it's going to take, you know, Matt Manning or, or maybe Alex Fajardo or Burroughs or any of those guys to settle in and really get to their prime. But Casey Mize is already really close to it. And so things aren't matching up real well um, as far as, you know, rebuilding timetables versus, you know, the player's timetable. And the player's timetable can't be changed. You know, you, you can game, the, you know, their service time. You can hold them back in the minor leagues. But when the player reaches a certain point where he's good enough to pitch in the major leagues, he's good enough to pitch in the major leagues. And, you know, you're not going to get that time back from him. Um, you know, just, you know, you might say to yourself, yeah, we can push Casey Mize off and, and squeeze an extra year of control out of him. But it's entirely possible that, you know, like in the, my theoretical Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, example, you know, that maybe Casey Mize, by the time he's, you know, 28, 29, 30, is already past his prime and, you know, and kind of heading downhill and has, you know, suffered a bunch of arm injuries by then or, or whatever. Um, all those things are possible. So... This is why, you know, gaming service time, you know, seems good in theory up front because you're getting this more team control, but you also might be wasting, you know, major league valuable time in that player's career um, to try to fit a timetable that may never come to pass in the future. Um, and, you know, baseball is chaos, you know, more so than, than most of the other major sports. You know, you can't really have a plan. We keep talking about this you know, over and over, um, you know, kind of behind the scenes is that you can only have good process. You can't have specific plans. You can't say like, okay, Isaac Paredes is my third baseman of the future or Jamer Candelario is my third baseman of the future. Pencil that in and think, okay, we're good there. Let's move on to the next position. You don't know who's going to work out. Um, you know, the, the better prospects may not work out the way you want to. Jamer Candelario has already been kind of a disappointment. And while he wasn't a, you know, a top tier prospect, he was a borderline, you know, top 100 guy who most most people thought would would hit and play solid third base. And the question was whether or not, the, you know, he would hit with enough power to really fit the third base profile. Um, you know, so far, you know, Jamer Candelario over the past year has just kind of been a disaster, unfortunately. Um, and you know, has that wrist injury or issue that that they can't really 
fix or deal with. And I don't know if that's what's holding him back, but, um, but it's just kind of a, you know, kind of a sobering reminder that you can't, you, you just can't make those kind of plans. You can't say to yourself, I've got this already. I've got this. Here's my second baseman of the future. Daz Cameron's my center fielder of the future. Jake Rogers is my catcher of the future. Um, you just don't know. So, <clears throat> in you know, in the final analysis, Casey Mize, you know, at this point is is not going to pitch in the major leagues this year. Um, if we're lucky, you know, this is an injury that is just, just inflammation, like they say, with, you know, hopefully nothing structural behind it. Um, maybe they give him a week or two off and then, you know, slowly start working him back up toward, you know, getting back on the mound. And maybe that'll be by the end of June. Um, I would suspect that it will be more like after the all-star break at this point. Um, earlier in the season, Bo Burrows and Kyle Funkhauser, um, two of the Tigers, you know, kind of mid-tier, but, but, you know, in the, in the system, you know, better pitching prospects. Both had shoulder injuries at the same time, um, and both of them were initially reported as inflammation. Um, they eventually, you know, I think they added the impingement um, issue to Kyle Funkhauser's report. But, um, but then, you know, you didn't hear anything. Um, basically, you know, everything went radio silence for a month, and that, that can be scary. You don't know if, you know, that means they're making regular progress or things are, you know, getting worse or not getting better as fast as you expected, or maybe there's an underlying issue that they've discovered and don't want to talk about yet. Um, in Casey Mize's case, maybe things won't go quite that way. Um, the fact that they did at least come out and, and kind of, you know, give a fairly specific answer, um, posterior shoulder inflammation, um, may, may be a telling point that the Tigers, you know, with, with someone as pro as high profile as Casey Mize can't just, you know, shut their trap and, and, you know, be quiet for the next month while, you know, everyone wonders what the heck is going on with them. So maybe we'll have a little bit more update, you know, from the, from the team as his progress goes along, but, um, but probably we're just going to have to kind of wait and see, and we're probably not going to know much until he's ready to throw and start, you know, facing hitters again and start working his back to his way back toward a rehab assignment. Um, you know, hopefully that'll be sooner than later, but, um, the Tigers would be, of course, well advised to take as long as they think it, it's, it, it needs. And, you know, somewhere, yeah, again, somewhere in July, um, you know, it seems like a pretty reasonable timetable because they're definitely going to give them that extra week or two. You would have to think, um, beyond what they would with, you know, someone at the major league level who they actually needed to come up and, you know, and, and give them innings, um, and whose future, you know, the, the franchise didn't, you know, kind of weigh so heavily upon. So, um, that's kind of where things stand and, you know, we'll just have to see how things go. But, um, the, the other part to the, to the Casey Mize issue was the, you know, the horde of supposed, you know, pitching mechanics experts who pour out on Twitter, um, who spam our comment threads every time, you know, a pitcher gets injured. Um, and this happens, you know, at bless you boys, this happens on all the SB nation platforms. It happens all over Twitter. Um, it happens in Reddit, you know, Reddit threads. And, you know, it, it's just this ghoulish practice. Um, you know, I won't even mention the guy by name, but the pain guy in particular, you know, spamming everyone with this, hey, I told you so nonsense um, to try to sell his book to everyone. You know, th this stuff goes on, you know, basically every time someone was injured and, you know, with the gist that, you know, somehow that these teams who have billions of dollars invested in all these pitchers just don't want to hear the truth or don't want to face the truth. Um, and, you know, and also... You know, accompanied by the, you know, the, by the, by the presumption, you know, that these guys could fix your mechanics and you would never get injured. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the gist of their argument that there's some way to, you know, throw baseballs 95 miles per hour, you know, 
thousands of times, you know, a year and, and somehow, you know, not have an injury. Um, the thing that has to be remembered is that pitching is injury. Um, you know, when you pitch, you, you are injuring yourself every time. Um, the morning after every start, you know, every starting pitcher in baseball wakes up with, with a good deal of soreness and tenderness in their, in their throwing arm and probably throughout the rest of their body. And, you know, the guys who do this the best, you know, the Verlanders and Scherzers of the world have figured out exactly how to quickly rehabilitate that, get the inflammation out, you know, start building a little muscle again, get the regeneration process going, get, start getting loose again and stretching out, and they can be ready in five days. And, you know, those two guys can seemingly can do this over and over again, um, throw you 200 innings every year and and really not have, you know, much of an issue. Um, you know, it might be instructive in general, just as an aside, that the only real injury Justin Verlander's ever had was to his core. Um, that kind of tells you where, you know, the most pressure and, you know, the most, most torque and the most force is being applied um, in his pitching motion is, you know, th that transfer of energy from his feet all the way up to his, to his throwing hand. Um, a lot of other guys, you know, rely too much on, you know, kind of like stretching the joint, um, you know, and then and then using it kind of as a as a rubber band effect to kind of snap and give you that you know that extra bit of um, velocity. And a lot of guys do that. Um, Casey Mize does kind of get his 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 hand um, up above his his elbow pretty early in his delivery. Um, he does have his elbow up at front foot strike, which is something you know a lot of gurus um, will, will constantly kind of harp on as like a key you know a key indicator that someone's eventually going to need Tommy John surgery because they're putting, you know, too much shearing force on their UCL ligament, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, none of this has really be, ever been proven. Um, you know, the, the only real strong correlation that's ever been found to whether or not a pitcher, pitcher is going to get injured um, is whether or not he was injured before. So, you know, throwing baseballs, you know, at maximum velocity over and over again is, is eventually going to get you injured. Um, it's just a question of how long and whether or not in, in the rare case of someone like Verlander, you know, he ends up getting out of the game before it all, you know, starts to catch up to him. Um, in his case, you know, he's still throwing 97, 98, you know, and it's been the most durable pitcher, you know, of our era. Absolutely. Um, so who knows, maybe for him that, you know, that moment won't come until into his forties, but for most guys, it comes way earlier. And the idea that there are some, you know, perfect mechanics out there that if everyone was taught, you know, it, the same, like if, you know, if one of these gurus could go around to every team and, and just correct everyone and get them all throwing with perfect mechanics, you know, that they wouldn't be injured. I mean, let's just for a moment say that that, that was actually true. The thing that these guys never think of is that a lot of those pitchers wouldn't be as good then um, because a lot of people with perfect mechanics just wouldn't throw hard enough. You know, the, the flaws that, that a lot of times people find in, in a pitcher's mechanics are ways of sort of compensating for a natural lack and squeezing a little bit more velocity out of their arm or, you know, breaking off a little sharper breaking ball than they actually should be able to or building in a little bit of deception with, you know, kind of a crossfire throwing motion, um, which may, may or may not, you know, kind of, you know, put you at higher risk of injury, but certainly helps you to hide the ball a little bit longer from the hitter you know, guys who play with timing, um, you know, people have talked about, you know, Clayton Kershaw's back issues and the fact that he has that sort of, you know, that hitch where he lifts his, his, um, his right leg into his delivery and then drops it back down, but then sort of pauses there and then kind of does like a second short kick. Um, you know, there, there are guys who do that sort of thing, you know, Marcus Stroman likes to play with timing and some of those things could possibly, you know, throw the rhythm of your delivery enough, enough to put, you know, unnecessary, you know, 
acceleration into the shoulder or the the elbow um, rather than accelerating smoothly throughout the delivery and through a nice long smooth follow through the way you know Justin Verlander to use the you know the platonic you know perfect pitcher example uh, that he seems to represent. Um, you know, th- there are just all these different things that pitchers kind of have to do to find an edge. And if you taught everybody like these pristine me- mechanics, you know, would they all pitch like Justin Verlander? No, they wouldn't. A lot of them wouldn't make it. Um, there's a lot of guys who are in the major leagues precisely because, you know, they've got a little bit of funk in their delivery or they do something that is technically wrong that makes them harder to hit, that makes their breaking stuff break more sharply than it would otherwise, that hides the ball longer that helps them tunnel their pitches better. There, there's a host of different reasons why, you know, this is the case, but it's just a, you know, a misnomer to think that if everyone threw, you know, with perfect mechanics, we'd have some kind of level playing field where everyone threw really hard, didn't get injured, you know, still had, you know, their best breaking ball, still had the deception that they have now, um, you know, and none of that really holds up to any kind of, you know, serious scrutiny if you think about it. Now, you know, you can certainly go back to, you know, the, the, the old days, you know, say like, you know, early 70s and, and prior to that and look at, you know, some of the innings totals guys would rack up during the year and think like, oh, you know, guys used to be more durable then, but they weren't throwing as hard. Um, you know, even someone who had a 95 mile per hour fastball didn't sit 95 very often, you know, um, you know, Mickey Lolich, someone like that who probably could run it up 94, 95 and maybe even a touch higher. You know, guys like that back then pitched, you know, 90-91. And, you know, if they needed a swing and miss or if they were in a tight spot, yeah, they'd dial it up. But for the most part, you cruised because, you know, four days, you know, you three days rest and bam, you're back on the mound. <clears throat> so it was just a different time then. And if we kind of cut out, you know, kind of those, you know, if we go to, like just to keep it simple and go back just 40 years, there were only 82 pitchers um, who have ever made 350 starts in the major leagues. And, you know, 35 starts is kind of the marker for a full season's work right now, um, 34 or 35. <clears throat> you know, most pitchers, you know, it, it comes in a couple couple starts less than that, even among the, the top tier and the most durable. But, um, you know, that's 10 years. That's 10 years of 35 starts, and only 82 people have ever, you know, been able to manage this in the last 40 years. If you think of how many guys have pitched for the, you know, now 30 franchises, but even back, you know, when there were several fewer you know, there's an awful lot of starting pitchers coming through and very few of them can last on a full schedule for 10 years. It just doesn't happen that much. So, you know, this is just the nature of the beast is what I'm trying to say. Um, there just aren't that many guys that can hold up to this. You know, pitchers are are throwing harder. Um, you know, they're getting more movement on their breaking balls lately. Um, it's in, the, in the past few years, they're throwing more breaking balls. Um, there's still lots of debate as to whether or not, you know, throwing more sliders is bad for you or if it's just, you know, straight velocity that is really bad for you, or, you know, whether splitters are bad for you. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, apocryphal thinking about this out there, but there really isn't any, you know, solid, you know, long-term study type evidence out there to really prove anybody's case. And, you know, so you're going to see, obviously, all these people trying to, you know, make a name or whatever by saying they predicted this injury, they predicted that injury. Um, Once again, I will just reiterate that, you know, I'm going to predict that all all pitchers in Major League Baseball right now, um, they will all be injured. And there, now, you know, I can write a book and come on like a ghoul whenever, you know, a team's pitcher goes down with a Tommy John injury or a, you know, shoulder injury that requires thoracic outlet syndrome or whatever and say, see, told you so, you know, come buy my, you know, book for twenty nine ninety five and check out my free seminar and blah, 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 blah. 
Um, but man, those guys are exceptionally frustrating because yes, they only come out, you know, when a fan base is hurting, um, when they're upset about losing a important player and, you know, they're just all trying to make a name for themselves and sell their garbage and whatever. Um, you know, with the, the idea that, you know, teams just don't want, you know, don't want you to know about this, all these, you know, teams that have spent billions of dollars on players, you know, they just don't want this guy, you know, it's all giant conspiracy to, to keep that guy from his, his kind of true purpose in life, which is, you know, saving all the pitchers from, from injury, giving them all perfect mechanics and, you know, and then I don't know what happens after that. I guess hitters are in trouble or maybe all these guys suck because with perfect mechanics, a lot of them wouldn't be able to do what they do. Um, so, you know, you can go from that to, you know, to Matt Manning, who um, has also had a brilliant year, um, is probably a year behind Casey Mize in terms of um, developing and refining his command. Um, it's really come a long way over the past year, uh, but there's still some issues with Manning where, you know, he's just not consistent enough yet with his curveball and his changeup to really think he's going to go to the major leagues anytime soon and dominate. Um, you know, even the fastball command is, is, is good, um, but... You know he's better. He's better to me arm side. Um, when he when he tries to go glove side, he still has a tendency to pull those pitches. Um, and if you can't, you know, if you can't consistently spot the fastball to both sides of the plate, um, whenever you want to, it's going to be a lot tougher at the major leagues. Um, you know, in the, at the double A level, you know, Manning's fastball, you know, just tends to just overpower and dominate most teams. Um, you know, we haven't seen very many hit him hard at all. Um, in fact. You know, even some of the starts where he's given up, you know, a couple runs here and there, um, th there wasn't much hard contact. I've watched just about all those starts, and you just rarely see anybody barrel him up, um, especially off the fastball. So, you know, are his mechanics, like, way better than Casey Mize's, though? Um, th you know, that's just hard to say. Like, I, to my mind, yeah, they are, because, you know, he gets, a, he gets really good extension. He releases through toward the target, and his, his the decelera eh, deceleration on his arm after release is much smoother and fuller. There's more time where the body is supporting Manning's arm as it comes through and slows down than there is with Mize, who even has like a little bit of that sort of recoil action. Like he gets his, his arm up and sort of high early, um, really, you know, jams his left, um, his left leg straight to generate that last bit of torque. And it gives him, you know, a quick arm and a lot of snap. Um, you know, it's a quick arm and you see, you know, hitters reacting badly to his fastball um, as well as to all of his other pitches because he's, you know, got a, a pretty exceptional repertoire of stuff back there. Um, but it is a delivery that, that kind of features a lot more, you know, herky-jerky motion um, in it. You know, his, his acceleration is, is more drastic, and so is the deceleration phase. And, you know, <clears throat> again, Matt Manning could get hurt tomorrow. I am not a pitching guru. I cannot tell you who's going to get hurt and who isn't going to get hurt. But there are, there are plenty of good reasons um, to bet on Matt Manning as the guy who's going to be, you know, a lot more long-lived as a starting pitcher in the major leagues eventually. Um, but again, because we don't know, you know, it, it just kind of, again, highlights the, the issue with building around pitching. You know, you're, you're not going to teach everybody, you know, to, to throw perfectly. And you're not going to be able to predict and expect that all of your pitchers are going to stay healthy. Um, there are too many incentives for too many pitchers to do things that don't quite correspond to what, you know, whoever you want, Tom House or driveline baseball, um, you know, w whatever they would define as perfect mechanics. And I think in both cases, they would probably say that it's, you know, it's player to player. Um, there's a lot to do with the type of conditioning that you do. There's a lot to do with nutrition, um, how you take care of your body after you pitch. 
Um, you know, there's, there's a ton of different things that go into it. And, you know, hopefully the Tigers, like most teams are trying to, you know, pioneer new, new methods and, and use the best practices possible to keep their guys healthy. Um, but you know, perfect mechanics, it just, just isn't really a thing. Um, you know, it's, it's never going to hold up because there are just too many incentives for guys to pitch with imperfect mechanics and try to make their money rather than telling, say, Casey Mize, for example, like, nope, we're going to radically rework your delivery right now because we want you to last a really long time. Um, you're, you know, you're much more likely to ruin him um, than anything. And, you know, you're probably not going to, you know, you're, you, one way or the other, even if you, he came through whatever crazy process someone tried to put him through to perfect his mechanics and teach him a whole new, you know, motion pattern and it's, et cetera, you know, you, he might come through that and be a decent pitcher, but you might not have the same pitcher again when you're through. And in fact, you probably wouldn't. Um, so, you know, I, I guess what this is all to say is that, you know, I don't particularly blame the Tigers here. I don't think this is a Tiger thing. Um, it, you know, it was kind of an unfortunate fact that the, the one year that we had the number one pick, um, that there wasn't a dominant position player. Um, I'm sure, you know, it, at least it didn't look like that at the time. Um, we may see, you know, a year or two down the road, one of the guys that was taken after Mize will, of course, break out and look awesome. And if Casey Mize continues to have some issues, everybody's going to be yelling and screaming about that. Um, you know, I kind of had that in mind when I was kind of advocating for Nick Madrigal or Alec Bohm as the pick instead of Mize. Um, but even I, you know, as we as I got to see more and more of Casey Mize, and more and more the consensus built that, you know, he was he was just by, you know, far and away the unanimous pick by every, you know, prospect site um, that I respect and every prospect writer, um, every smart fan that I talked to. Basically, everyone had come to the conclusion that Casey Mize was, you know, that kind of a special pitching prospect. And eventually, you know, I folded up shop, too. But it was just it's just scary to, you know, to put that many eggs in the pitching basket. <clears throat> and what and to kind of take this, you know into more of a, an overview of the organization and then to get into sort of the Matt Boyd um, part of this equation. You know, the Tigers have made the commitment to build around pitching. You know, they drafted, as I said, they drafted four starting pitchers in the, in the first round um, up, leading up to this year. You know, they've got several other, you know, pitching prospects that they like, like Cal Funkhauser. Um, you know, we've seen Tariq Skubal um, at Lakeland kind of breaking out and looking like maybe he's, you know, the guy people thought he could be before he had Tommy John surgery in college. Tigers maybe have a steal there. Um, but when you build around pitching, you know, y you have to have a ton of it. That's that's just the way it is. Um, if the goal is to build around pitching, then the thought process has to be, OK, we're going to have a ton of cost controlled pitching. You know, when one guy goes down, we're going to be able to plug someone in. Um, you know, when Michael Fulmer goes down, you know, we're going to be able to bring up, you know, whoever's next, you know, whether it's Manning or whether it's Scooble or Fiedo or whoever's behind them. But you need a ton of that pitching. And if you have all that pitching and you have all those guys cheap, then you can go out and spend money on, you know, a much more kind of sturdy and safe commodity, which is free agent bats. Because by and large, position players are much more durable um, and much more likely to produce, you know, what you paid for. Although, you know, you can look at Jason Hayward and a host of other examples and, and find, you know, find plenty of ways you could trip and fall on your face there as well. But there is some soundness to that philosophy. And especially if, as it seems, teams have decided, you know, they're going to really emphasize, um, you know, position players in the draft and hoard their position players as prospects and not really be willing to deal them away, even for short-term gain, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing to go the other way, but you have to follow through on it. Um, you have to build up that pitching depth and that includes 
like having guys who are, you know, veterans like Boyd and Fulmer and Green, who, you know, you might think to yourself, hey, I've got to sell this guy before he gets hurt. But, you know, if you keep if you keep in that cycle where you're constantly trading away your best pitchers um, and the ones who've proven themselves to be durable, um, who've kind of, you know, started to reach their potential the way Matt Boyd has, you know, you're turning, you're turning the cycle right, right back around because it could take, you know, even if things go perfectly, it could take Casey Mize and Matt Manning three or four seasons before they really hit their groove and are capable of leading you anywhere. Um, and you've got to find, you know, a whole host of pitchers behind them. Um, and, you know, it's entirely possible that by that point, Casey Mize will already have had his three or four best seasons because he is already, you know, real close to being, you know, probably as good as he's going to get. Um, that was kind of the attraction that he's very majorly ready, um, that, you know, the, the, the risk there, um, at least as far as a pitching prospect goes, was really low because you could look at him already when he was pitching at Auburn and see that, yep, that stuff would play against major league hitters already. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot to like from Casey Mize in his work ethic, um, you know, in the way he's, you know, kind of discussed his his process of, of building, um, well, of pitch design and, and his philosophy behind how he goes about attacking hitters. There's, there's just a ton to like there. Um, he's very close to being ready, and, you know, the Tigers aren't ready for him. So, I don't know, things aren't adding up particularly well there. And when they talk about now, you know, trading pitching away to try to get the you know, the hitting prospects that they need, you kind of wonder why they, you know, why they didn't just start, why they didn't emphasize drafting hitting prospects back in 2015, 2016. You can also ask yourself why they're just so bad at developing hitters. Um, because other than Nick Castellanos and Kristen Stewart, both of whom were, you know, were taken in the, I believe the competitive balance round A, um, the, the, the round that's right after the, the normal first round, you know, those are the two guys that they found who've turned out to, to at least in Stewart's case, looks like um, that they should be major league quality hitters. But um, but they haven't, you know, shown any track record of being able to develop guys um, who, who don't already kind of have that, you know, that track record built up that all the prospecting community already is aware of this guy and knows he's going to hit. You know, they've, they've taken those two guys and made that work, but we haven't seen them, you know, take anyone who's a little bit more raw and turn them into a good hitter. Hitter. Um, and so, you know, the reason I've never really had that big of a problem, um, unlike some others with the Tigers building from pitching, is that the Tigers at least have some track record of bringing up, you know, bringing up pitchers. Um, they don't really have that, that track record of developing bats. And so, you know, drafting a ton of pitchers and, and having that, that cheap homegrown stockpile of, of arm talent um, to back up what you would then, hopefully you'd go and, yeah, maybe trade for, you know, a bat if you needed it, but also try to exploit... Um, you know, the free agent market in which a lot of these guys, if they're not, you know, an absolute superstar, just aren't really getting paid and try to piece together, you know, the, the final part of a roster that way. Um, so, you know, in the end, you know, some people are going to look at what happened to Casey Mize. And, you know, fortunately, you know, again, we'll have to see how it goes. But, it, you know, inflammation in the shoulder was probably about the best case scenario. Um, that was kind of what we were hoping for. Um, when the injury happened, um, when, when they pulled Mize out of the game, he didn't appear to be any, you know, substantial pain. So this was my hope. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe things won't, won't go too badly. Um, you know, he'll, he'll figure it out. Um, you know, maybe adjust his conditioning or adjust, make some adjustments in some way and be able to hold up to the strain of pitching, um, you know, every fifth day. You know, the Tigers have, have kept his pitch counts relatively low. Um, we can certainly argue about whether or not, um, you know, pitch count matters as much as, as you know, innings. Um, you know, th there's a debate about that. I kind of think a lot of that is, is kind of overblown either way. 
Um, it's just, you know, how many times are you going out there and pitching until fatigue, you know, whatever that is for Mize, whether it's 60 or 70 pitches, and then he can go, you know, 20 or 30 beyond, um, you know, it's a little different for each pitcher. But one thing I can say about Casey Mize and Matt Manning, both is that, you know, they've been low stress innings. Um, neither one of them has been in enough trouble, um, you know, in double A to, to think that they've been pitching a whole lot of high stress innings and, you know, having to ramp it up and get themselves out of jams and all this kind of stuff. Um, it, it hasn't gone that way at all. Um, in fact, it's been quite the reverse to the point that a lot of us are wondering, you know, what either one of them is really learning um, going out there and, and just kind of mowing through most of these lineups, you know, and having like, you know, maybe one or two, you know, hitters who can actually square them up um, in any given lineup at most. Um, most of the times when, you know, when they pitch, you just don't see it. You don't see balls hit very hard. And if they had, you know, manicured major league quality stadium, although, you know, no offense to Erie because they have done a lot of work in a new field out there and the place looks great. But, um, you know, ma you know, major league conditions with a major league defense behind you. I don't know that if either one of these guys would have given up more than, you know, a couple runs <laughs> this year, the, the way it's gone, because there have just not been hard contact. Um, so, you know, both of them, you know, at least look good and we'll hopefully, you know, hopefully Casey Mize will, uh, will come out of this and be okay. But I think, you know, you can take, you can take this either way and I can't tell you which way you want to take it. Um, but if you look at Casey Mize's injury and it makes you say, look, we need to trade Matt Boyd before, you know, while he's at this peak before, you know, something happens and he gets injured, I can understand that perspective. And if the Tigers, you know, can manage to get like a legitimate haul for Matt Boyd, um, you know, something on the order of, of what the White Sox got for Jose Quintana, you know, a really like a, a dominant bat, like a top 10 hitter. And then, you know, another position prospect, maybe, you know, in the lower, you know, lower part of the top 100 prospects, maybe a, you know, a rookie ball guy that they hope to, to develop um, and catch a little bit of lightning in the bottle, like some kind of deal like that. I could at least, you know, I could accept that. Um, and I can understand why, you know, looking at pitching scares everyone and you'd like to all sell them, you know, at the highest point. But the problem is you eventually need some damn pitching, don't you? Um, you know, and the Tigers have already kind of made this commitment to, to build through pitching. If they're going to completely turn that around and start trading bats, um, you know, and tr or, excuse me, start trading four bats and trading pitching to get it. I'd rather trade like Alex Fiedo and, you know, and, and some of these, some of these other pitching prospects and see, you know, if we can find a bat or two that way, who still have some years of control, uh, maybe think about extending those guys and and build around having, you know, Matt Boyd, Michael Fulmer coming back next year, Daniel Norris, you know, Funkhauser, Burroughs, and then having Mize and Manning coming up sometime next year and hopefully some guys behind it. Um, I would rather try to do something along those lines, but it takes a level of creativity and it takes the ability to, to win in free agency, which this front office has absolutely failed to do um, since taking over from Dave Dombrowski, um, you know, there isn't one win um, as far as, you know, what they've done in free agency, even some of their best, you know, their best pickups like Leone Smartine. Um, that was fine. It was fine. Um, but, you know, they got back a decent, you know, shortstop prospect who's done pretty well. And, and that's fine. Like, that's an OK deal, but it's not a barn burner. And then you look at all the money they spent on, you know, Mike Pelfrey, Jordan Zimmerman, Justin Upton, Mark Lowe back in 2016. You know, it just goes on and on. Um, you know, Tyson Ross this year, not a big expenditure, but even on a cost per results basis, it hasn't been good. Same is true of Jordy Mercer and Josh Harrison. You know, whether they've spent the big money or whether they've spent little money, they haven't got the value um, that you would expect out of that. And they certainly haven't exceeded that value um, very often. So, 
you know, if, if, you know, you guys all know how I feel. If you listen to either podcast, I don't want this front office at all. I would have fired these guys, um, you know, as soon as the, the teardown was done in 2017, apparently the first part of the teardown, because it looks like we're in for round two, um, again this year. And God knows what this team is going to look like next year, uh, with Matt Boyd, Shane Green and Nick Cassianos off of it. Um, you know, we were all kind of feeling like, you know, the, the Tigers have, have no right and no reason to, to be talking about, like, not hitting rock bottom until, like, another year or two. Because then you're looking at, you know, 2024, 20, 2025, maybe. Is that when, the, you know, we're supposed to expect that something good is going to come around? Does this front office get, you know, a decade in Detroit with, you know, no playoff appearances to try to, to, try to get things going? Um, I don't feel that way, and I don't think most of you would appreciate that either. <clears throat> it's perfectly natural to want to give the front office the benefit of the doubt. And I've tried to pretty hard. Um, but the more I see, the more I just think, you know, th- these guys just aren't that good. They're not terrible, um, but they're just mediocre. And, you know, the game right now is dominated by four or five absolutely, you know, top tier front office groups who are, you know, right now pretty far ahead of everyone else. You know, the Dodgers are in the playoffs every year. Um, you know, the Astros are have been in the playoffs for a few years and won a World Series, and they look set to do it, you know, some more. Same same thing goes with the Yankees. Um, even some, you know, lower payroll teams like the Padres and, you know, the Braves and the Rays, um, you know, th- those guys are coming up, and they've shown the ability to build great farm systems. Um, we'll have to see if they can, you know, if they can piece that all together, but at least the Rays have shown that, you know, they can be real, real choosy and real smart and picking up free agents um, right as they hit their prime and getting the most out of them and being able to flip them. Um, I, I just don't see any of these traits. You know, the, the Tigers front office just seems to be sitting there for the most part, um, expecting, you know, eventually that somehow, you know, drafting is going to be enough um, to, to, to be better than these other teams. But the Tigers aren't as good at drafting as most of these other teams. And even if they were, you're not, you know, you're not getting ahead. You're just, you know, maybe catching up if things go well. Um, you look at what the Arizona Diamondbacks did when they sold off um, last season, you know, collected a whole bunch of comp picks um, and, you know, basically had, I think it was eight or nine picks um, in the first three rounds. Um, that's, you know, that's a strong, you know, kind of move to start rebuilding right there. You can absolutely restock a farm system um, pretty well um, right there. And, you know, the Tigers may not, you know, just didn't have those opportunities. And you can look at it and say, well, that's why they have to trade Boyd now. But once again, like if, if they can't absolutely crush a Boyd deal, um, they should be building around Matt Boyd. Um, he's only 28. The Tigers still have him, you know, through the 2022 season. So we've got three more years after this one out of him. Um, if they're if they're selling him, you know, they're telling you that either Casey Mize and Matt Manning have to come up and be aces, you know, relatively quickly in their career by the time they're, you know, 25, or this thing is going to take a long, long time, um, far beyond what any owner should be, you know, having the patience with, especially for a group that is, you know, not made the playoffs in four years and is the leftovers um, from the last successful regime. Um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, they deserve as much credit probably as Dave Dombrowski in some ways for what the Tigers did, you know, from 2011 to 2014. But, um, but you know, we're, we're a long way on from that and the Tigers haven't made the playoffs. And eventually you'd think someone has to be, accountable um, for the fact that they've, you know, failed to get back to the playoffs and that even two full years into the rebuild and after this draft, you know, most of the prospect sites have the Tigers between like 12th and 19th um, in terms of farm system rankings. The Tigers have not even managed to crack the top 10 yet and you don't get forever. Um, You know, players, as we see, like these players are already pushing into the major leagues. Um, 
Kyle Funkhauser is probably going to be pitching in the major leagues. Bo Burrows is probably going to pitch in the major leagues this year. You're going to see Jake Rogers catching in the major leagues this year. Um, if Daz Cameron can get hot, you will probably see him. You know, it, it just doesn't wait. And, you know, if we're four or five years on, you know, ex- until, you know, we can, you know, hope for the Tigers to be a contender, you know, a lot of those guys are already going to be close to the end of their term with us. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're looking at starting it all over. And this is what terrified me about the entire rebuilding plan to begin with, is that once you once you do that, if you can't turn things back on the upswing relatively quickly, everything just goes south. Like all the advantages that you have in being able to, you know, draft high and all this kind of stuff, it just becomes a, you know, the whole thing just becomes a cluster where no one's coming out to the park. Payroll comes down, um, you know, naturally as a result of that, even though it's already come down quite a bit. And, you know, there, there isn't much enthusiasm. No one's paying that much attention. You've got, you know, guys that are constantly be, being traded away for prospects. And what what are we, what's the goal? Like, when is it go time when we suddenly magically hit on two or three, you know, star position player prospects all at the same time? Is that what, is that, you know, is that the plan if there is a plan? Because uh, that's a terrible plan. <laughs> that's that's a god-awful plan. Um, I'd just assume keep all this pitching um, buy a couple bats, try to trade for another young player or two um, who can help us out and start building something again and hope that the Tigers have done their work in the international free agent market and actually have some talent coming from there because if they don't, we are boned. Um, we, we really are. Um, hopefully some of the drafts have been better than they've seemed on the surface. I thought the draft this year was fine, but you know there wasn't any particular stake to it. You know The Tigers didn't have any extra picks. Um, there wasn't a pick that the Tigers made that, you know, looked like some kind of genius move. And, you know, we're we're two weeks removed from the draft at most from right now. And so it wouldn't, you know, no one could take that too seriously anyway. But, um, you know, we just don't see a whole lot coming. Um, you know, and the Tigers keep saying, well, it's hard when you don't draft high. Well, yeah, the Washington Nationals don't draft high. And yet in the past couple of years, you know, they've, they've brought up Trey Turner, who they drafted. They brought up, you know, Juan Soto, who went nuts last year as a 19-year-old as an international free agent. They bought up, brought up Victor Robles this year, another, you know, really, really outstanding-looking center field prospect. They've got Carter Keyboom, who is probably the best shortstop prospect in the game in their farm system. So, you know, somehow the, some teams managed to make this work. You know, the, the L.A. Dodgers, yeah, their payroll's been huge, um, although a lot of that was dead money. But, you know... They just keep drafting well. They just keep finding guys. You know, they found Max Muncy out of the blue. They drafted Corey Seager. You know, they drafted Cody Bellinger. They drafted Gavin Lux, who looks like another really good shortstop prospect. They drafted Walker Bueller. Um, you know, the Houston Astros. This is a team that's been good for, you know, multiple seasons now and has a World Series. And, you know, they're sitting there with Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez, maybe the two you know, best, most major league ready outfield prospects in the game. Um, They've got a a bunch more good pitching prospects beyond Forrest Whitley, who is injured and not having a great year, but um, but they don't need him necessarily. They've got a lot coming um, beyond that. So if you're smart and, you know, you have a progressive front office that is, you know, capable of of finding wins, um, finding players that are undervalued in the draft and in the international free agent market, you know, you can you can make it work even when you're not drafting high. And the Tigers show absolutely no sign of being a front office that is capable of doing that. Um, you know, they've invested in technology. They've invested in the analytics department. You know, they, they've made some of the right noises. Um, but, you know, are we going to wait three years to see if, you know, 
the, what they've done in the past year was was really great and really showed some signs you know that yeah they they really figured it out and you know this group is now you know one of the one of the better front office groups in the game um you know do you want to wait that long yeah yeah i don't want to wait that long either <sighs> it's a drag isn't it i'm almost out of breath talking about this nonsense but um you know here's where this nonsense has left us um you know to to Put it in perspective and kind of wrap this whole thing up. You know, if the Tigers trade Matt Boyd for you know a good hitting prospect, okay, we'll have we'll have that one good hitting prospect. Um, you know, maybe they'll get another piece or, or two in there. But what they're going to tell you and and what you have to kind of recognize then is that this entire you know hope for the future is built on Casey Mize and Matt Manning both being aces. Um, because that's what you have um, when you look in the farm system and you you take a look at what any of the other prospect ranking sites will tell you you have two above average prospects right now that's it and both of them are pitchers and you know if you feel like you've got to trade Matt Boyd because you know he he could get injured well guess what you know he's a, he's probably less likely to get injured than Casey Mize or Matt Manning are um, Matt Boyd's been very durable um, and, you know, he's turned himself into, you know, probably a, a strong number two, maybe even a number one type starter. Um, and, you know, that's something that you could use. You could continue to build around all this pitching that you've accumulated and feed all these guys in from the minor leagues over the next, you know, year, basically. Um, because other than maybe Fiedo and Scooble and guys who ha haven't made the jump to double A yet, um, all these guys are going to be ready by next year. You know, whether or not they'll be healthy, I don't know, but that's why you need lots of them. Um, so, you know, this is where we are. The entire rebuild based on, you know, it rests on the, the arms of two young guys who haven't really been able to prove, you know, haven't proven anything yet. And, you know, both of them have to work out if they don't. Um, you, we really have a whole bundle of nothing here. And then you look into, you know, then you're looking at kind of getting into this long-term like rebuilding forever, um, the perpetual rebuild cycle that has um, so kind of terrified me. Um, and this, you know, and this goes to the front office, this goes to Chris Illich and, and you know, an, an apparent unwillingness to spend any money. Um, you know, there, there doesn't appear to be any kind of way this adds up right now. And there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of believers among the scouting community um, from, you know, from prospect writers who actually know uh, major league scouts you know the tigers do not get respect um the, you know no one out there thinks the tigers are doing a, a particularly good job of of rebuilding um it's going slowly you know they're doing it you know really really by rote um you know if you look back to the jd martinez deal which a lot of us said okay yeah it looks terrible but we've got to give it some time and see how things work out well guess what it didn't didn't work out um, you know, you have to think a better team would have would have found a sleeper um, among their their choice of three middle infield prospects and found one that you know actually had the potential to develop into a good player. Um, and that's not happening. Dawel Lugo is not going to be a major league third baseman. Sergio El Alcantara just does not have any power, and the shortstop position demands power now. Even though he's a good defender and could play the position at the major league level, it's not going to be him. Uh, maybe Willie, Cra Willie Castro will save us, but um, but you know I wouldn't I wouldn't go betting the farm on that either. Um, you know, generally he's still regarded as a below average shortstop prospect. So you know you've kind of got a whole lot of nothing right now if um, Casey Mize and Matt Manning don't work out 
um, to to an exceptional level and and relatively soon. Um, even if they both turn into aces, but it takes them until they're 28, 29 years old, the way it does with a lot of pitching prospects to kind of finally put it all together, get healthy, get their routine right, all that stuff. That's a long way down the road, um, and we're we're asking them to do it, you know, relatively quickly, and for both of them to work out, and both of them to stay healthy, and that's that's just a bad gamble. Um, and if you trade Matt Boyd away, that's pretty much all you've got left. You know, you've got those two guys, whatever you're able to get for Matt Boyd and and Riley Green, uh, maybe as your as your hopes. Um, and those are those are very long term hopes. Those aren't the kind of thing that. Um, that you could sell your own employer on. And I don't know how Chris Illich can look at what's going on. Um, you know, when we get to the end of the season, we'll see how things have played out with all the prospects. And maybe, you know, maybe a, a guy will break out, maybe a couple guys, and things will look different. But, you know, even myself, who's often kind of been talked about as sort of like a bit of an optimist about the Tigers, um, the Tigers prospects, because I do like Daz, I do like Isaac Paredes, I really like Jake Rogers. Um, but, you know, none of those guys' profiles as as being a real big impact player. They, you know, their their ceiling is is basically three, four, the three or four war player. And, you know, you still got to find you still got to find the stars. And if you're going to trade away Matt Boyd and you're going to trade away Michael Fulmer and these guys, um, you know, all this pitching has to work. Like, you know, you, not even just Mize and Manning. You've got to be able to find guys behind that. You've got to be able to build a bull, bullpen behind that. And, you know, th- this isn't a front office that's ever built a good bullpen. And this is a front office who is very fortunate um, through its best years to have, you know, the two most dominant right-handed pitchers and the most durable right-handed pitchers of their era in the same rotation alongside Anibal Sanchez at his peak. And, yeah, they all had a part in making that happen. But that is just such a unicorn of a rotation. Um, and if the Tigers, you know, plans are to somehow find a whole bunch of starters who can go seven innings and be dominant, you know, good luck to them. There, there just aren't very many. Um, there weren't many back when, when they made it work, and there seem to be even fewer now. Um, and we haven't really seen the Tigers, you know, adjust to that, you know, fact either, um, to the fact that, you know, you're probably going forward going to be more likely to get like 150, 160, you know, good innings out of out of even your better pitchers. Um and how they're going to make that all work. To me, that that speaks to why you need to have a crap ton of, of young pitching, young cost-controlled pitching, and you know, and still have a couple veterans who can kind of guide the staff and you know, and and lead the way. And if those guys are are, are moved, now you're turning it over to Mize and Manning and saying it's up to you guys to uh, to lead the way. And that is a that is a thin thin thread to build a rebuild on, my friends. Um, I mean, I just I cannot emphasize to you guys enough how the smart teams, the the couple great front offices that are out there right now, how far ahead they are of the Tigers. Um, it's it's just painful to look at the Dodgers and the Astros and realize that both of them still have substantially better farm systems than we do, and their major league rosters are absolutely stacked with talent. While we've got you know Matt Boyd, Spencer Turnbull, Shane Green, maybe Joe Jimenez, Castellanos. Yeah, and then a bunch of crickets. <sighs> it's frustrating. So, let's talk about Nick Castellanos for a little bit, because Nick Castellanos isn't going to be around to see the conclusion to this uh, delightful saga. Um, Nick Castellanos is going to find himself playing for an actual Major League uh, franchise again, probably very shortly. And Nick Castellanos has not been very happy this year. Um, I think I think that's been relatively apparent um, to most people from, from some of the conversation that went on in the offseason season. 
Um, and he finally kind of just opened up um, about what's been going on, and it's not good. It's not good, folks. Um, I mean, basically what Nick Castellanos had to say was that in 2017, um, after you know they had, they had traded away J.D. Martinez, Justin Verlander, etc., um, El Avila claims, um, and I will link you to the Anthony Fennick um, article from the Free Press from December of 2017 in which El Avila is quoted on this, um, but um, but Avila claimed that you know sometime in that you know that off season um, 2017 that you know they had you know kind of reached out to discuss talking about an extension with Nick Castellanos, and basically um, you know Al Avila's quote goes as follows, um, saying that nothing nothing has come of it and we haven't really discussed it ever since. Avila said. He's arbitration eligible this season. He has next season, and obviously, we're just going to run through the same process um, with with like we, what he's trying to say is like we did with JD Martinez. Um, yeah, well, that worked out great. Um, Nick Castellanos came out today and said that the Tigers never talked to him about an extension, um, and that you know after you know struggling quite a bit in right field in 2018, the Tigers came to him and asked him to switch over to first base and give that a try. Um, and Nick Castellanos, you know, declined to do so and that, you know, the Tigers made it clear, you know, at that point that there was, you know, that there was no extension forthcoming and that they weren't in a position to, um, you know, to offer any extensions. And Castellanos' point was that what he had said was, yeah, you know, I have no problem playing first base or, or doing whatever, you know, for you, um, but, you know, give me the security of an extension. I want to be here long term. Um, you know, there were a whole host of quotes this offseason, you know, where Nick Castellanos, you know, made very clear that, you know, he has family ties to the Detroit Tigers. This is the only organization he's ever been in. He wants to stay through the rebuild. Um, you know, obviously that's not going to be happening now. But, um, but you know, that was that was his take on the matter was that, um, you know, the, the, the Tigers never offered him an extension and that any, you know, anything from Avila saying that, yeah, we had, you know, at least broached the subject or talked about it. Um, was disingenuous. So, you know, that's, uh, that's not good. Um, that's a problem. That's, that's, that's just a bad, a bad feeling all around from both sides. And you really understand why, you know, there seemed to be such a chill developing over this off season. Um, you know, you can't ask a player, you know, the year before he, you know, becomes a free agent to switch a position and, and try to force him to do it when, you know, you're putting his future livelihood at jeopardy, in jeopardy. You know, Castellanos had worked pretty hard, you know, to learn how to play right field and to improve his speed so he could play the outfield. And as we've seen this year, you know, his defensive metrics are actually quite good. Um, you know, he's he's basically been an average right fielder this year. Um, he's made some nice plays. Um, we've still seen, you know, him bone quite a few plays. There's some communication issues with the infield um, that never existed when Ian Kinsler and J.D. Martinez were the two involved because Ian Kinsler would just go get everything and you could trust it. Um, it doesn't seem to be working that way with the, you know, the revolving door of, you know, infielders that are playing all over the, the diamond. You know, Brandon Dixon's playing first base and second base. Nico Goodrum is playing literally everywhere. You know, Ronnie Rodriguez has played shortstop and first base and second base. Um, you know, there's no excuse. Like, you, you know, you have to communicate and you have to make it work. But, um, you know, either way, you know, Castellanos, you know, worked pretty hard at it, got better at it, 
and has made himself into a viable right fielder. Um, you know, better at least than J.D. Martinez was. Now, obviously, Nick Castellanos isn't the hitter that J.D. Martinez was. And whether or not it's because, you know, he knows he's out the door already and, you know, isn't happy with the situation and, you know, the Tigers aren't happy with him or whatever. You know, Castellanos is, you know, off to a really slow start with the bat. But, you know, we have three years of track record of Castellanos as basically a, you know, a 20% better than average hitter in the major leagues. And I don't really think that's suddenly disappeared. Um, but one way or the other, you know, Nick Castellanos is probably going to be traded. And, you know, probably very little is going to come back our way um, in such a deal. And, you know, that just, you know, to me, that just sucks. Um, you know, you're, we, we don't have a bat, you know. I, you may like Kristen Stewart. I do. I think Kristen Stewart's going to hit. Um, I like Nico Goodrum as a, you know, as a utility utility player who can hit some. Um, I haven't given up on Jamer Candelario, maybe maybe figuring it out, um, maybe finding some way to adjust to the wrist injury and or the wrist issue and, and making it work. But um, but there aren't a lot of bats. And we all know Miguel Cabrera, you know, is, is not going to be on the field full time, even as a DH. Um, and we don't have any idea what kind of production we're going to get from him. But the odds are it's going to look very similar to what it has this year with, you know, high average, good on base percentage, and not much power. Um, and when you stop hitting for power, eventually that on base average is going to start coming down as well. So, you know, Nick Castellanos is, is really the, you know, the bat that we have, um, you know, to kind of, you know, build out a lineup around. And now we're losing him and we're going to lose him for basically nothing. Um, and this is infuriating to me because, you know, way back in 2017 when all this was going on, um, you know, I was already writing that we needed to extend Nick Cassianos then and, and get get a discount um, based on the fact that he hadn't worked out at third base and was going to have to switch position. You could use that for leverage. You could probably, you know, pay him a little bit more the first two years and, you know, and get yourself some cheap years of control after that and try to keep him, you know, until he's at least, you know, into his, his early 30s um, and get those prime years out of him. Now we're not getting anything. And I'll tell you what, like, a rebuilding team can't just get nothing like just have, you know, good major league players, even if they're not, you know, stars or, or really good, well-rounded players um, and the player that we would want them to be. You can't get nothing for someone and, and in the middle of a rebuild and, and just let guys walk. Um, you know, that, that's just an enormous waste. And, you know, it, the circumstances weren't ideal. I understand why a lot of people, you know, don't particularly care that much of whether or not Nick Castellano stays or goes. But by extending him back then, you have something. You know, you have a cost-controlled player probably who, you know, might still break out and hit a few more home runs as he, as he goes along. Um, and if you're kind of making him the leader of the team and, you know, one of the faces of the franchise and, and buying into that, maybe, you know, Nick Castellanos can settle down and settle in where he is rather than being in this situation where he doesn't know what's happening over the past year and a half. He might be traded at any point. Um, you know, that's just, it's just not good for business and it's not really good for the player either. Now, yeah, you can, you can sit there and say like, oh, none of this matters. He gets paid a fortune. He should just do whatever the Tigers say, you know, but he has to think about his future too. You know, imagine if you were suddenly asked, you know, a year before you knew you were going to have to go get another job that you had to stop doing the job you were doing and go, you know, go over to a different position in the company. Um, one where, you know, you probably weren't going to do particularly well at and then, you know, and then come out of that and then have to go interview for another job with no security. Um, you know, th these things don't, these things don't compare well, you know, sports is not real life. They're, they're extremely different, but you know, it's, it's not nothing, um, to put that on a player and to leave them in the position for a year and a half where they're kind of the last guy hanging on and, you know, with no security, and then you also, you know, basically shut down any any hope of an extension right from the beginning. 
Um, because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like, you know, if, if they even like mention an extension, that was the end of it. You know, that maybe, maybe someone, you know, used the word extension in a sentence, um, with Nick Castellanos somewhere in the room, but that seems to be about the extent of the talks. And so, you know, here's another player who's just going to walk away. Um, and we're not going to get anything back out of it. You know, we're not going to be able to trade him for very much. Um, maybe we would have been able to trade, you know, trade him a year or two ago if they had known it was going to go this way and maybe gotten a little bit more. Um, but you were never going to get a huge return. Um, Nick Castellanos leaving isn't going to, you know, fundamentally alter anything, but it's just another mistake. You know, it's just another like wasted, you know, commodity basically on the team. Um, and you know, that's extraordinarily frustrating. And let's see what Nick Castellanos had to say about it. Um, his quote, um, this is from Jason Beck. Was it so last year when obviously there was no commitment toward me? I chose. I decided I just wanted to stick in right field and try to be as good as I could in one spot. And that was the first time I've ever said no. I've said yes a lot. You know, I've moved all around. So last year it was just like, nope, not right now. And I can't really fault him for that. You know, um, he had to do whatever he thought was, was best for him. And as it's turned out, he was right. Um, he's playing a lot better right field. And if he was hitting like he did last year, um, when he had literally no one around him in the lineup, you know, he might actually look like kind of a trade chip. Um, to some degree, but one way or the other, if he can kind of sustain that all year long and look like a better defensive option who, yeah, if you sign him to a free agent contract, maybe he will be willing to play first base. It sounds like he would and DH for you some, and then he's got that positional versatility too. And you put him in a smaller ballpark, you know, that's, that's a little bit more, uh, friendly to a home run hitter who likes to use the center of the field. Maybe you'll see Nick Castellanos hit 30 home runs, um, I don't want to be a smartass and point out Jose Iglesias and James McCann, you know, having much better seasons since they left the Tigers. But just overall, like the vibe is bad. Um, and, you know, we're looking right now, I'm watching this you know, this game and Cleveland is absolutely just taking it to the Tigers. Um, you know, we started Ryan Carpenter. You know, this is just a bad team. It's a bad team right now. And the farm system just is not coming along fast enough to make up for it. Um, so I don't know. These are uh, these are pretty grim times. Pretty grim times indeed. Um, I'm going to let it go there. I'm sure Miss Ashley McLennan and I will want to get into the Nick Castellanos topic um, in our in our regular show. And you've probably already had an hour full of me just talking a blue streak in your ear. And I apologize for that. But man, when, when, you're, uh, when your number one prospect goes down with an injury like that, it's, it's a big deal. And it just brought a lot of other, a lot of other topics to the fore and a lot of the problems with the way the Tigers, um, think they're going about this rebuild and I need to vent. So there you go. Those are my thoughts on the matter. Um, that's about all I have to say about Nick Cassianos. Um, you know, he's gone. Um, it's been nice knowing you and Nick will, you know, go on and get to be on a much better team soon and probably will be all the happier for it in the long run. And that's about it. So thanks a lot for joining me and li listening to me uh, jabber at you. And we will be back with our usual show on Wednesday. Everybody have a safe and fun weekend and we will talk to you later. Bye-bye.